Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Baltimore is listening. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Here's Max and Steven. Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pits But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption That's right, hello and welcome into Understanding CBD Hello there, Max Sobel Alright there, Steve Wallman We are live in the studio today, this Sunday, beautiful Sunday, July 25th in Baltimore um, And to test us out, give us a call, the phone lines are open the number to call is 410-922-6680. We have some very good guests today. We have very good topics. You're going to want to get involved. We don't always get to everyone on the air. We want to apologize for those that have called in previous weeks. But make sure when you get Noah, tell him what your question is. We'll, we'll save some time at the end. If we can't get you on the air, we'll at least be able to uh, read it out loud. Uh, then my song choice this week, Redemption Song by Bob Marley and the Whalers. That's right. Who doesn't love Bob Marley? Great choice. Yeah, and in, in researching our guest this week, um, you know, just so many themes kept coming back of the needs for uh, redemption, especially there's a lot of wrongdoing, uh, especially around the cannabis plant. That, Spot uh, on for a song. You know. Spot on for today's song. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, in addition to our special guest interview, which uh, Max will introduce soon, we have another episode of Cannabis Investments. Um, coming right at you. We have, uh, we're talking to Bobby Ziner, Robert Ziner. He's founder and CEO of the Canadian Industrial Hemp Corporation. This guy's really cool. He's got artificial intelligence and hemp built in. I mean, I don't know if most people know what that is. I'm not sure I do. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> um, you know, you throw buzzwords around like that, and you, you definitely, you know us, we got to dig deeper. For sure. Uh, you doze off for any reason during the show, um, and you can't catch it, Max. Where can they listen to the rest of the show? Right online, understandingcbd.com. You'll want to click on the tab that says our show, and there you can listen live, or you can listen to all previous podcasts. Don't also forget that you can check any podcast platform that you use. Just search for Understanding CBD. And of course, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Understanding CBD, get to see our beautiful faces. Yes. And before we get to the news, Max. Hotline. Uh, introduce our guest. I'd like to remind you, Understanding CBD is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Tell your doctor about us. Stop by maxandstevens.com. We have free shipping, simple checkout process. You can always call or text your order also. The best way to get us or them, 443-743-2444. Always happy to help. Yeah, and also a general reminder to everybody, please don't take anything said on this program as professional medical, legal, or financial advice. We are here to entertain you and educate yeah, you. Yeah, don't get us in bit. trouble. That'll get us yeah. in trouble. I mean, well, I hope not, you know. But we're here to tell you the truth. And without any further ado, our special guest today is Stormy Simon. 
Stormy's an e-commerce pioneer, corporate leader, cannabis activist, inspirational speaker, and the host of the podcast, Lunch with Stormy. And we're told she just celebrated her one year. Congrats on that, Stormy. An unconventional leader who charged straight into the workforce, Stormy bypassed college and business school, landing at Overstock.com in 2001 as a temp. She spent 15 years at that company, ending her remarkable tenure in 2016 as both a board member and president when she surprised the business world by venturing into the cannabis industry, bridging her advocacy with her professional life. She's known to march to the beat of her own drum for sure. One of Stormy's guiding mantras is, sometimes you don't know what the next step is, but you still have to take it. Stormy, we're so honored to have you join us here on Understanding CBD. Welcome this Sunday. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun today, I promise. And congratulations on the one-year podcast. Max and I just celebrated our one-year back, I guess, a couple months ago. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure you love doing it because you made it through the year. What have you learned this first year of doing the podcast, and are you going to continue? Yes, I'm going to continue. And the learning was really interesting because it happened during COVID. So the planning for the podcast was all pre-COVID and all the things you were going to do in life in 2020, and the execution of the podcast was sitting in my home, figuring out what I was going to do in 2020. So it was a really good time, um, therapeutic, because of the time that we were all going through. And uh, I am going to continue it, but a little more professional and a little more on site, I think, more out in the world than just in my home. Yeah, as things open up. What's the um, main focus of your podcast? Who do you target with your, your interviews? I like to talk to people. It's kind of like where business lunches left off, where it can be casual. They can talk about their lives of what they've done because there's many successful people in the world, and some people think they're unobtainable or they're not like them, but it turns out we're all just waking up every day trying to do our best. And, you know, learning about somebody's life and family versus their career is what I like to talk about at lunch. You know, Stormy, waking up every day and trying to do our best, I mean, I know that that was a motivator for you. So I want to I focus a little bit on Overstock.com. What a, an absolutely remarkable story. You started there as a temp and finished off as the president. Would you kindly walk us through that story? Well, timing, you know, anybody can say they've had this great career and it was all a lot of hard work, which is very true. You can't do it without the work. But timing has something to do with it. And walking in at the time where an industry was being formed um, was part of the success. But being in an environment where I could raise my hand because nobody knew the answers, so there were no bad ideas, was really helpful for me by passing college. And um, doing something that had never been done before was kind of my jam. I loved the idea. I remember the day I walked into the CEO's office and I said, I think we need a marketing department. Do we have a marketing department? And he goes, no, it's a good idea. And he said, well, okay, what should I do? And he said, you should go start a marketing department. And <laughs> What department like, were you said, in at that time? Um, at that time, I was, probably, I was probably doing some of the marketing. I would do everything. I would look around and look for the daylight of things not being done, which is the beauty of joining a startup. Mm-hmm. You'll always find your jam. Um, so I was doing many things. I did some PR, uh, worked as chief of staff built a B2B department from about, well, from zero to 20 million, um, built a books, music, and video department from zero to 150 million at a time. So there were just these great wins that um, I was having, but I started that marketing department. I didn't last there long. I grabbed a couple people and they took the reins later. And, um, but I did our branding the entire time, customer service, 
became, I became president in uh, 2013, left in 2016, and from temp to president, there were many titles along the way and, you know, things that I was able to do and prove to myself that I could do, which I think was part of the biggest lessons for me in business was, you know, to know that I can do it. You know, I not only was at a company that grew from 18 million to 2 billion, I was driving it. And that was really, you know, when you look back on it, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was really quite an honor. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really incredible performance. So, so now I have to ask you, right? So you're president of a two billion comp, billion dollar company. Was it, was it two billion in sales that's, annually? That's B with a billion. Yeah, all right. So that's that's a, a large company. Um, you resign, and you start in an entry level position in the cannabis industry, right? <laughs> what were the people close to you saying? <laughs> oh. That was a brutal time of my life. Like, you think you get these lessons as you get older. My birthday is coming up on Friday. I don't like to say my age, but I'm somewhere in my 50s. And, you know, you think you get these lessons in life and you, you know, gain your confidence, you kind of forget them. Um, I didn't really realize that the whole world still thought cannabis was a bad thing. Um, most people thought I was crazy. My family has always loved my decisions and my crazy ways. Uh, but friends and colleagues, many colleagues that I considered friends took a step back and they're all emailing me today on LinkedIn like, hey, how do I break in the industry? Hey, what do I do? But at the time they were really hands off and, and really quit talking to me. Um, and, and that's okay, you know, I still stand behind my decision. I went into cannabis knowing that the movie had been going for 10,000 years. I didn't think it was going to start the day I walked in the door just because I could run a company. So I didn't want to walk in, you know, with my chest out and, you know, I'm going to show everybody how to build in an industry that just hasn't been done before. But the truth was the plant and the supply chain has been happening for years. People who did this before legalization did it to the tune of $56 billion, we guess, in a year across America. So when we talk about building companies, I was looking at people who had built them differently and had created the revenue differently and had also delivered my medicine to me for as long as I'd needed it in my life. And that fascinated me. The idea that the state was ahead of the federal government excited me. Like that is the time we should all really pay attention to regardless of the content. And um, I wanted to know about the plant. I wanted to know how it grew. I wanted to know why it was a medicine. I wanted to know what regulations were coming on it, you know? I remember in Overstock, nobody had shipped couches. We shipped couches first. We shipped your door, big rugs first. And, you know, I was putting those scenarios together. And that's why I wanted the ground floor. The offer was um, a chunk of equity in the company. They were medicinal only growers and dispensaries. And, uh, you know, to take uh, equity in company, you have to take a big position and you got to perform. I had just come off of a 15-year sleepless night, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to sleep. So I thought, you know, let me get my hand, my feet wet. Let me learn. Let me pay respect due to the people that can't just walk in the door legally but sit in prison. And I wanted to do that, and that's where I started. Yeah, very genuine. Do you have a personal CBD story that you're okay sharing? Um, you know, I have my cannabis story, and while... I think that, you know, we can say that we use cannabis for medicine, which we all do, even if you don't know it. 
Um, but I, I refuse to put that as my lead. Um, as a human being and a plant, I can civilly use it because I choose to. It obviously has done well in my life and I have no fear of it or I wouldn't choose it and wouldn't support it and advocate for it like I do. So yeah, I do have many stories um, done just with my own personal research and about my body. So I would, I just suggest other people do it. For me, um, I don't need to, you know, they don't, people don't ask you what hurts when you go pick up your Lortab prescription. And they don't say to you, hey, are you on an antidepressant? Yet, when we go into a dispensary, Anybody that drives by a medicinal dispensary and sees you, they'll be like, oh, I know those 10 things in our state. You know, I mm -hmm. disagree with having to come forward with an illness in order to use a plant. So, yes, I have my stories, and they're beautiful and um, awesome. But my advocacy now is having access for everyone um, without outrageous taxes and people in prison. Very honorable. I like that. Um, so yeah, we need I to... love to talk about health benefits with it, and I've educated myself on that as much as I can. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We need to take a break, a short break. We're going to come back with Stormy Simon. We have some more questions for her and a lot to get into. So stay right there. Minutes after day to guy From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong by the end of the Almighty, we forward in this generation. Triumphantly. And now more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way. God knows it ain't his. It sure ain't no surprise. Welcome back into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hello, Steve Allman. We're here having fun with Stormy Simon, host of a weekly podcast called Lunch with Stormy, along with many other accolades. Please go, please go to stormysimon.com to learn more about Stormy, although we will uh, get into some more questions we have for you here. Um, that song, Living on the Edge by Aerosmith, uh, that was Stormy's uh, suggestion and recommendation to bring her in here. Um, aside from your infatuation with Stephen Wallman, I mean Stephen Tyler, um, what does that song mean to you? <laughs> you know, one, um, I took my granddaughter when she was three years old to see Stephen Tyler. We happened to get on stage, and he sang the part to her about, like, Chicken Little tells you that the sky is falling, even if it wasn't, would you still come from? But the words of that song, you know, there's a point where it says, if you can tell a wise man by the color of his skin, you know, then you're a better man than I, you know. We're living on the edge. And so it's got some meaning to it, but um, I've been, like, I put it in my head as the same song every now and again. Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. I you know, you're a, deep, you're a deep person, Stormy, mm -hmm. I'll tell you. 
I'll you're so better. you're so humbling and uh, easy to talk to, but you really uh, you know got a lot of wisdom in there. We want to get to more of it today. So um, I wanted to kind of pick up where we left off at least. Um, so you were at um, Overstock.com, two billion president of the company, left to start grassroots in the cannabis industry, and then last year you actually campaigned for a seat in the Utah House of Representatives. What inspired you to? Um, to go into politics, you don't seem like a politician. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a politician at all. Um, I live in Utah most of the time. I grew up here, and I, you know, I'm a single mom here. Um, wasn't raised to be uh, religious at all, so we have many religions within my family. Uh, we moved to, from Chicago to a very conservative place um, where religion was part of the conversation. Um, what was your exact question? I was just going to go on a tangent. Yeah, no. Like, well, so so you're, you're in a, a small town. We know, oh, we know Utah's religious. Right. Yeah, why would it's you not run? And not so only I'm did not you like, run, but you went to run against a, a person that has been in that seat for how long? An incumbent? Yeah. Uh, a long time. Yeah, he's been there I, basically I, since they started, you know? It's like you didn't need any more complexity in your life, and you decided that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to go on a, on a Mormon tangent because my point wasn't about that. It was about the conservatism that that environment might bring, even though I'm, you know, 40 years later here. There's still a tempo in which we operate in Utah. It's a very red state. Given the political environment, and more so given the gateway that cannabis was for me, which I could talk about how many eyes it opened for me. Mm-hmm. didn't know I had so many eyes, one of which was the education and the fear that people had within my state. I spent time in Denver, California, both within LA and San Diego, and those are very safe, comforting states. The, the conversation is very elevated when it comes to cannabis because they've allowed their constituents to learn. And I wanted to start that conversation. I also wanted to stand up as a woman that was single, that may have tattooed an arm or two, but found great success with my hard work within a state that where she's not around a lot. Um, when you look, we have a very super majority. There was no way I was going to win that fight. Um, but more than that, if I had won that fight, I would have been walking into a room that I would have um, not been able to affect other than with words, hoping someone would listen. And that's why I ran. I wanted people to feel like they can be different and have different opinions and still play a, a piece of our political um, process in a very volatile, hateful environment. Um, you know, and the hate came at me. It yeah. was crazy. I mean, I was running with where there's maybe 20,000 voters in a town I grew up in. I'm like, hey, guys. And um, no, <laughs> it turns into really meanness. And I think everyone should do it. It was the best education I could ever have with politics. Um, it gave me a view of local politics and the importance of picking your zip code because as we continue to find each other via hashtag, we'll continue to make communica- communities in which we're like-minded. Um, that was why I did it. I wanted the hers of Utah or the people that, you know, even if you are conservative, Mormon, whatever, who cares? If you like cannabis, you're curious, you know, you need to learn that People aren't sinful. Like yeah. these conversations have to start with someone who actually had the credibility in business. And you know, and you so, know, oh, 
I, I love the fact that you went for it and did it, you know, fully embracing and knowing that you may not succeed. And, and failure is such an important part of life. You know, if every, you know, you made the comment, if everybody should do it, they should do it just to experience that. So how do you deal with failure? You know, failure, it, it's really interesting. So I had really good mentors at Overstock and the, uh, the matrix in which Overstock allowed me to reach. And within the company, we would say, you know, you have a lot of words people use at work. So, you know, did you get the coffee cup? Yes or no? Well, an employee will say, well, anyone will say, not employee. Well, you know, I started to go to get the coffee cup and I was walking to the kitchen and it was like, wait a minute, you have it? Wait, I want to tell you, no. Did you fail or succeed in getting the coffee cup? I failed. Okay, well, it's not a big deal. I hope you can bring it tomorrow. Right. So failing, if you look at I failed 10 times today already, I'm positive. <laughs> if you really look at what the word means, but I deal with failure as just another word. You know, I can't if I if I didn't know failure, it would mean I never tried or, you know, so within the workplace, you better fail a lot. If you, I can tell you this, if you want to win, you better lose a lot before you win because that's where your lessons are. Those moments where it's like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, know, if I had a dollar for every time we failed, Max, we'd be a $2 billion company. We'd be a $2 billion company. The um, big O. $2 billion is, is, a billion is hard for people to comprehend. That's you know, like if you actually counted to $1 billion, it would take like 90-some years yeah, just it, to count to it's a, a billion. It's a ridiculous valuation. Anyway, enough talking about you, Stormy. Um, we're going to get into uh, the demonization of uh, cannabis here. So, you know, I've heard you talk about the demonization of cannabis back in the day and the blockage of medicinal use, um, the cultivation of the plant. Can you tell us how this impacted your decision to get involved in the industry? Yes. Um, well, I was always a, you know, as a teenager, I was introduced to cannabis at the very first time that I consumed it, which was by smoking. Um, I didn't know what it was. My brothers told me, you know, I started that path alone. And every time I talked about it with someone, I realized that they really thought it was bad. I had to keep it a secret. Um, as I got older, High Times was a magazine that my brothers had that I could read, and it was educational. It had information, not just pretty pictures. Um, once I made the decision to jump in, and just within the first few people that you meet, like I immediately met parents of sick children. Out there, not stumbling along anymore, but stumbling alone in the world, fighting for their child alone. They're paying for medical insurance. They've paid their dues. They've paid Social Security. They've paid in the welfare system. But when it comes to this fight and their ability to choose the way they'd like to handle their feelings and maybe things that haven't been done before, these parents are alone. Why? Why? Every single one of us has heard of, and if you haven't, it's easy to Google, anecdotal stories of people that have had miracle events. Now, I have two, and I read them too. But when I started meeting them, and, you know, not everybody wins, this story of cannabis saving everyone is not going to be true, maybe after the science, but not mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Um, when you meet them and you see them and you see their fight and you meet with doctors in legitimate medical facilities that want to do this, that are curious and also fighting for it, but in the background because they'll lose their jobs, it changes your mind. It made me ask why. What? 
was the bleep, right? I wanted to know why. How could that possibly be? Well, I went back 10,000 years ago. I, I do a whole talk on this, and I won't today, but that's when the story of documented cannabis, hemp, marijuana, weed, whatever somebody wants to call it, that's when it starts, 10,000 years ago, long before we had opinions. Yeah. Um, throughout history, this was used freely by people as medicine, grown plants, plastic. We were just discovering all these amazing things. Um, Henry Ford, his first Model T was made 10% hemp, and his thought was to keep the farmers employed. 10%, all of that was outlawed. Paper, because of uh, her, with his um, 27 publications that he was pushing out, uh, the Mexican War had happened, so our Mexican friends came in and they brought marijuana. We knew it as cannabis. Jazz clubs open, black people like to. And white people at the time, and I'm white, we're white, people are my white, but this is history. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's history. Mm -hmm. It's true. Used it as a weapon. And that's when it started demonizing. At the time that this is all happening, the Medical Association is fighting for the right to continue studies on our Senate floor, two people that we vote in to protect us as Americans. Um, they begged for it. It was denied. Uh, Business went on as usual. If you follow the chain of people, the matrix of where people are related and how it goes through, there's pharmaceutical prices, all sorts of things that mm -hmm. start within the 30s. So the demonization started a long time ago. And once you realize the number of people that are in prison, the harmlessness of this plant, which is upon everybody to go learn on their own, not upon, I don't even know the name of the guy that runs the FDA. Right. What's his friggin' name? Who knows? I don't know him well enough to trust him, so it's on you yeah. to educate you. And when you learn and you get past the fearlessness, you will wonder why your tax dollars are also, in addition to your pharmaceuticals, the fight against this plant, your tax dollars are also paying for people in prisons, both federally and in your state, for non-criminal cannabis offenses, and still to this day, first time. I wanna... So when you go through that, if you can't, like, that affected my life as a human and an American. It made me run for office. It made me think, like, everything I learn about CBD and cannabis, the whole plant, THC's in there, too, mm -hmm. everybody, yeah. um, is okay. It's okay. It's good. It's worthy of our attention. It's I wanna, worthy of the study. I want to talk about that demonization because we run, and you mentioned medical professionals and doctors and such. The problem is that we run into a bit of a conundrum, right? People should talk to their medical professional or doctor about this subject, but unfortunately, most of the medical professionals are not prepared or ignorant on the subject. So how would you recommend that you start this conversation with a, with a medical professional or a doctor? You know, first off, when you go into a doctor, you're your own advocate, and you better be ready to be. They're not in charge of you, and they're not the smartest person in the room. You know, if you're an accountant, you're for sure better at math. So when you go in, you have to develop the relationship, trust them enough, and start sharing your experience because they need to know. I started telling my doctor I used cannabis many years ago, over 20 and now throughout health issues that I've come up with, things that I've encountered, we can point to that as part of my regime, part of my medical package, my medicine. And that's how he's come to start viewing it. Your physician is your quarterback. 
you go to him and you tell him how your body plays. He's not going to know one thing. You tell him, I use cannabis. I tell my doctor, I put THC cream on my tendonitis and it works. I'm not going to take an anti-inflammatory. I'm just going to do that. And that conversation helps your doctor. It helps you. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I had a doctor I was able to take a gummy to so he could experience um, how I was able to get off sleeping meds. Great. That's a good way to make friends. (laughs) And at that point, we talk a different language right? We're talking a different language. He knows what I'm saying. He can now prescribe me in a way that's like, you know what? I get it. That does work for you. Okay. He accepts it, but it's, it's your job to educate your doctor and to educate them about CBD. They're not going to educate you. This is on you right now. The day will come, but it's not today and you shouldn't wait for it. Yeah. And if you have a doctor that's not allowing you to have a peer conversation and respects your individuality, then you need to find somebody else. Um, That's the you know, other thing. Channel your inner stormy and go in there and, and demand some action here. <laughs> Bring them a gun. You know what I mean? Um, well, so we've been talking really about the health and wellness aspect of cannabis. And in prep for our next guest, um, what's your feeling about the other industries that uh, cannabis is touching besides the, the health and wellness space? Do you see um, any impacts on other industries because of this plant? Well, you know, when I think of a, a product, which a this plant is and how it moves across the United States and, you know, all the supply chain, the technologies, the efficiencies, a lot of that stuff already exists in other industries. Um, so how does this plant affect a Pfizer? Well, my belief is we're not federally legal because Pfizer's not ready for it. The Pfizer's of the world. I love Pfizer products. I take Pfizer. I invest in them, whatever. But, you know, it, any farm, insert pharmaceutical company there. Um, that's my belief as they're getting ready for federal legalization. Um, yes. We got to take another commercial break. Yes. That's how fast it goes. But you're going to stick around with us, right? I keep talking. You're yeah, we're, we're coming back with uh, Robert Ziner from Canadian Industrial Hemp Corporation on our next segment called Cannabis Investments. Stay right with us. Stay with us, Stormy. More stuff. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Steven on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. to Understanding CBD. This is our Cannabis Investment Segment. Hello there, Max Sobel. What's up, Steve Ballman? Everything's great here today. I'm excited about this segment. We have a special guest with us today uh, on the phone as well, Stormy Simon. Uh, If you haven't heard of Stormy, uh, she made herself famous with her success as president of Overstock.com, starting there as a temp, ending the company, uh, leaving the company was $2 billion. Say hello to our guest, Stormy. Hi there. All right. All right. Good to be here. 
Thanks for being here, Stormy, again. So supporting our goal to build a, bi- a build a bridge between people and cannabis, we can't ignore the need to connect investors and businesses that are shaping the industry. And if you currently own a business and are raising capital, or if you're an investor looking for an opportunity, be sure to give us a call, 443-743-2444. You can text us as well, and we will connect you. So on this cannabis investment segment, we've got Robert Ziner, MBA, founder and CEO of of the Canadian Industrial Hemp Corporation goes by CIHC. Robert's got over 30 years in building in the building materials distribution and secondary wood processing industries. He founded and operated a public company which acquired three other companies and generated over 240 million a year in sales. In the 1990s, he developed and patented an AI, artificial intelligence-based advanced manufacturing system in partnership with General Electric's factory automation group. Robert's a recognized expert in fiber processing, optimization, softwood lumber, and hemp. Welcome to the show, Robert. Um, I've got my first question for you, and I'd like to know, what's your vision for being in the hemp fiber industry? Well, Steve and Matt, thank you very much for having me here today, Stormy. It's a pleasure meeting you this way. And I guess GIC is focused on driving the large-scale growth and optimized utilization of the hemp plant's amazing fiber to achieve five things. Firstly, to help improve global carbon sequestration and long-term CO2 reduction. To conserve and optimize the utilization of nature in our environment. To develop and utilize technologies to constantly improve large-scale quality control, hemp stock processing, and fiber optimization capabilities to create attractive long-term financial returns for our investors, and lastly, to create tens of thousands of jobs, stable, good-paying jobs and opportunities involved in growing, processing, and producing a wide range of high-quality hemp stock-based finished products. That, Mac, is my vision for the hemp industry. Well, it's an honorable mission as well. It when is. did you start CIHC, and why did you why did you start it? Well, it was founded in November of 2016 after I returned from a trip to China to attend a conference on hemp stock deportation at the invitation of the Alberta government. I had worked with the Alberta Research Council in the 1990s when I had developed and patented the AI secondary wood processing system with GE factory automation. That system proved to reduce production costs 50% and increased value added by over 100%. The young bureaucrat I had worked with 30 years ago, now a very senior bureaucrat, had phoned me out of the blue and invited me to go to China on behalf of the Alberta government. They wanted me to check out the decortication operations to advise them if I thought that AI would help increase Alberta's hemp fiber processing opportunities. I started CIHC the day after I returned to Canada. Because of my past experience developing and patenting an AI-driven smart factory 
I knew that AI would be a very important innovation in hemp stock processing because it makes everything so efficient, clear, and very cost efficient. Bobby, what products do you plan to produce? Well, our first product will be custom formulated and automatically produced biocomposite pellets to help reduce plastic pollution. Additionally, we'll be producing cottonized hemp fibers. However, we foresee entering into any secondary production opportunity where our AI integrated manufacturing capabilities will enable us to be the global, low cost, high quality producer. These products will include bat insulation made from bath fibers, structural hempcrete style blocks, non-woven mats, biochar, and bioplastic. Well, Bobby, that's great questions. We didn't even get through half of our questions. Are you able to stay on through the break? We have a uh, little commercial break we got to take. So uh, everyone, stay with us. We will be right back with more Robert Ziner of Canadian Industrial Hemp Corporation along with Stormy Simon. Don't go anywhere. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. You were the sunshine, baby, whenever you smiled, but I call you stormy today. Hello and welcome back in to Understanding CBD. This is my favorite part, though, actually, this song. This is definitely our most animated episode. You have to check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube uh, forward slash Understanding CBD. Anyway, hello there, Max Sobel. What's up, Steve? And uh, we're here with Stormy Simon, uh, Robert Ziner, finishing up on our investments. Stormy, you have some questions for Robert. Yeah, thank you for that song. Robert, totally amazing, like your background and stuff, especially for this industry. But my... Like, as you were speaking, I was having to stop and think, like, whoa, he did that? And you were saying it like, oh, I tied my shoe today. And you <laughs> made impact. Like, those words you were using, I'm going to go back and replay them. But then you apply AI. And I'm even, I do understand hemp and processing. And even as you applied it to your previous industry, but for us, like, how do you implement AI in large beef wholesale thing? Um, you know, what is it, your technology, your processing? I think I'd be interested in knowing uh, that diff- what makes it different, and so would our listeners. Great. So why don't I talk to you about our business model, because it's not just the technology, Stormy. 
One of the things that I learned in my background and that I talk about a lot is that technology redefines economics, which redefines marketing. And for all intents and purposes, it's our technology that opens up a whole new range of opportunities and products for us to pursue and conquer. But I'll address that to you by saying that our business model is built around our production flexibility and accuracy. And the wide range of operational and marketing advantages that these will provide us, we will operate sustainably and as a steward of nature. That's first and foremost. But we will be a high volume custom hemp fiber provider offering the world's only automated quality control system for hemp fast fibers, and that's part of the AI equation. We will have AI-driven, flexible manufacturing capability and will practice the just-in-time production of finished products rather than simply batch processing bales of stock to create basic commodity outputs. So this will allow us to move automatically up the value chain, enabling us to increase our margins over 75% higher compared to conventional producers. This will also allow us to market directly to large end users and custom fabricators without a middleman. So CIHC will charge competitive prices, but will also provide guaranteed quality and delivery date, which nobody else can come close to fulfilling. Our plan is to build a network of a minimum of five of our 100% digitally controlled facilities across North America in five years. This will allow us to process over 250,000 tons of output fiber each year and have the unique ability to provide our large-scale clients with the critical advantage of distributed manufacturing. Robert, I think that I, I have got to say I haven't heard anyone disagree and at the breadth that you speak about hemp and the manufacturing. What do you think your first, like if, I, if someone gave you a million dollars today, how would you spend it? Well, at this, at this particular point, the first million would probably go towards uh, cementing the statement of work we have in place with the uh, leading technology developer to commercialize the scanning capability, uh, which we currently have, which is capable of doing static scanning, but not dynamic scanning. And our first phase incorporates static scanning, and our second phase incorporates dynamic scanning. So that would be the first step. That's good. That's uh, Bob, we, we have about uh, one minute left, Bobby, and I want to make sure people know what type of investors are you looking for, and how will people get in touch with you? Well, we would like to work with people who are focused and committed on helping the environment, number one. 
because our technology facilitates the growing of so much more hands. Help Bobby, really quickly, how do people get in touch with you? We're running out of time. www.cihcorp.com or rzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerzinerziner